Welcome, Mark, to Flute Unscripted. Thank you so much for joining me. With pleasure. Thank you. You're, uh, you were walking around a second ago with your computer, so I got a little tour of your home. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love how vibrant it is. Um, you've been there, I'm, I'm assuming, quite a lot lately because of COVID and all of the precautions everyone's taking. Uh, normally, you're very busy touring all over the world and performing across the globe uh, months out of the year. So how has this adjustment to being home more been on you? So I came back last February, end of February, from a big tour in Asia. And since then, I didn't play, take any plane. So this never happened uh, in my life. <laughs> so in fact, I'm now uh, practically uh, one year uh, in Europe. I have been playing, uh, so we, we had, all concerts were closed from March to June or something like that last year. And then in the summer, I was quite busy, happily. Again, it started. And then I played again. I stopped my concert end of October. And since then, not one concert. Of course, some live streaming and things like that. But for me, in fact, <laughs> uh, I should not say this. Uh, of course, for me, I'm... Uh, a little older, eh? and so uh, I, I have done a lot of things in my life, so I could put a little money, you know, on the site, and so, and so financially it's not a problem for me, and also uh, I'm teaching also in university, in a very good university here in Belgium, and of course uh, I'm, my salary goes on and I continue to teach there, I'm very fortunate for that, but instead of this, uh, I was happy also, you know, to have a break of one year in traveling because uh, you will see later the concert is with a wonderful accordion player and with my wife, Joelle. And we have two kids. I started quite late to have kids and I have two wonderful kids. One kid from nine years old, David, and, uh, and a daughter, Sarah, who will be 14. And so I think for my little boy, it was very, very important that his father was finally there for, uh, for one year, yeah. not always on tour. And I will tell you that we had a great time together. So of course, now after 11 months, happily, like I told you, I had a break in the summer, but uh, now it starts a little bit to be long, but still, uh, I think, this will go over this situation in a few months. Yeah. And uh, I think it was a, a happy parenthesis for me uh, because I, I didn't get sick also until now. Yeah. Yeah, that is the silver lining is more time with family. That, that's the nice part. Um, what about your routine at home? How's practicing going and fitting in these interviews like ours and your master classes and your uh, injury for uh, virtual competitions and things like that. Yeah. Um, uh, I will tell you honestly that I practiced less than normally. Eh? So, uh, but still, uh, because of the teaching and so, I had to to, to keep a certain level. Right. And, uh, so I try to keep in uh, in good shape on the flute, you know. Uh, modestly, I try to 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 keep my level, uh, but of course, you know, I, 
I'm a professional. I, I earn my life. I always say I uh, sell wind since what? Uh, since more than 50 years, you know, I make a living of this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's different. You've talked about uh, learning the flute at a young age at seven and going to music school and having a, a young teacher that was really influential on you and was kind of like a family member. Um, how did that teacher shape the career that you have today? And do you try to be that teacher for your students? Uh, no, I think we are very different. Uh, but the funny thing is that I wanted to be an architect. Yeah. I liked always very much to construct. I like design. And so like you can, you could see a little bit, uh, if we turn a little bit, you can a little bit see yeah, the planes. And so, uh, uh, so, and, and, and this is only a part of the house, you know? Yeah. Uh, so this was an old wine depot from uh, 1907. And uh, it was a room when, when we bought it about uh, more than 25 years ago. And I transformed it uh, with my own plans, etc. So uh, it, it was always a passion. And then when I was 18, I had to decide if I would be uh, going for architecture or for music. And uh, my parents had a, a very modern house and uh, built by the best architect here in Belgium, who was the teacher also in the best architectural school. And so a little bit very modern in Corbusier style and so. And uh, he told to me, don't become an architect. It's a horrible job. Uh, the client will never uh, accept what you do. The guy who has to contract your house will also in, not like what you do. And finally, the client will put some furniture in the house that doesn't go at all with what you okay. designed. And my flute teacher pushed me enormous. He pushed my parents say, you have to become a musician. And initially, it was not what I would have done. But then I was thinking, it's funny because I was thinking, I was a 17 and a half, I was thinking, ah, oh, maybe with music, I will travel a lot and it will be more fun than to sit on a desk as an architecture. And in sure. fact, it turned out, it turned out like that. Yeah. Well, it's good to see that you still have that, that passion for, you know, another project, another side of your life. Um, so that, I guess that, that's interesting. If you didn't go into music, probably would have been an architect then. Uh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> that's great. Uh, what other, uh, do you have any, you know, morsels of advice that you find yourself always saying to students? I, I see that your, um, some like Mark isms are don't record a piece without performing it first and don't play everything so fast when you're learning. Are there any other like nuggets of advice that, that you're always giving people? Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh for sure not playing fast when you're practicing a piece that's for sure we always practice too fast yeah. because it's not only uh, because we want to test out you know that it works fast we are always anxious that it will not work fast but it's only it's not only uh, fast in the fingers it's also in the brain your brain needs time to really know a piece 
and that these automatic things, you know, you have to read in advance and so works well. So this is one thing. So the advices I give in generally, uh, on top of what you just said, is uh, to practice slowly, but also to practice always with big sound. Uh, I think uh, practicing with a small sound, you know, with some, uh, it's not good. I always give the advice and more and more, you know, with the years, uh, to use a lot of air when you practice, even slow passages, quick passages, uh, a lot of air in the mouth also, a lot of resonance in the mouth. How older I get, how more I see the importance to put a lot of air in the mouth also. And uh, another advice I give also is uh, to don't give an accent on the last note before <laughs> the breathing. Yeah. And generally also the note that comes before the breathing to give a little vibrato, some resonations, and then to breathe quickly in this resonation of this last note and to don't play the note that will follow after the breathing louder than the one you finished. And then uh, you will have, I think, as a, as a listener, the, the uh, comfortable, uh, you will not feel that you don't have enough air or so, or that the phrase is cut, you know? This is, I think, uh, uh, one important advice I think I would give for sure. Um, let's switch gears a little bit to your solo career and how you came to be a, a soloist. Uh, you were playing in an orchestra at the age of 19. That's when you got your first job. Um, and you played for decades in this, you know, orchestral environment and ultimately decided you wanted to pursue a solo career. You felt, you know, emotionally ready, professionally ready. Um, I think something else that people don't talk about is maybe the financial aspect of, you know, breaking away from that structure, from that stability and really being on your own. Uh, so what was that transition like? So I, I answer on, on the, the two questions that you, in, in connection to that. So first of all, uh, I don't like routine. And so, so I have always been a, a person uh, very extreme somewhere, and, uh, but not anxious. I'm not an anxious person. This is very important also in aspect to your question. And uh, so the orchestra I played first in a Flanders Opera Orchestra that in the time was not so very good. And so I had, I start, I came from a, a intellectual family. My father was a doctor listening to music and reading a lot and so, and I came in this opera house that was, is now much better, but in the time was not so fantastic. And uh, the, the, I think the intellectual standard of the musicians in that time in this place was not so high. And uh, it was a little shock for me. And so from the beginning on, I said, I will not stay here for all my life, you know, even if I was very happy because I didn't want to teach as a 19 year old boy, I wanted to play, you know. And I learned, of course, everything for social life, the difficult things in life, thanks to this difficult environment in this first orchestra. So I wanted to move. So two years later, I uh, succeeded in the, an audition in the National Opera in Brussels. 
I was 21 years old. This was much better. This was a, I stayed there for one and a half year. This was a wonderful time. I don't know if you, uh, if Maurice Béjar says something to you. It was the most famous, uh, one of the most famous uh, ballet companies in the world. And uh, he, he was attached at that time to the opera. And so, so we had series of Ninth of Beethoven with ballet, of Sacre du Printemps, of all, of, of all the big things, you know. Uh, it, it was a wonderful world. So there, I was very happy there, but I was still in the pit of the orchestra. And so I was a young guy, ambitious, you know, with some teats and... Uh, and so I wanted to have something better. And in the National Radio Symphony Orchestra in Belgium, uh, one, two years after that, uh, there was an opening as solo flutist. And I got, I got, I did the audition and I got the job. And this was for me really the beginning, somewhere the beginning of my career, because we were on television, we were on a lot of things. And uh, this was really exciting, uh, very exciting moments for me in my life. Uh, the people in the orchestra, in this orchestra, was quite hard. It was not so, not always everybody so friendly. It was not so, not always so easy. But I learned everything there. But after, uh, I don't like routine, so I wanted to do also other things. I started to play a lot of chamber music and to do concerts. So the people saw me on television. So I start to start a career and so, uh, I started to meet composers and so from the one to another I started to play solo performance, I started to do things and so after 10 years uh, I was a little fed up with, with this routine and this, uh, I loved the sound of the orchestra of course, but I learned also everything in the orchestra because uh, the thing in an orchestra, I think every musician, surely a wind player, should have a passage, if he, even if he wants to be a solist, should have a passage in an orchestra. You know, intonation, uh, uh, different conductors with different views. You make your really a education there and not in the school where you study, you know. Right, yeah, it's uh, a true rate of passage to, to play. Yeah, there, there that you learn everything. And... Uh, you learn to have a personality, but to fit in. What is not always so easy, but, yeah. but necessary in classical music. And uh, so after 10 years, I said, I, I was already a lot on tour. It started to be very difficult to combine both. But uh, the chief conductor at that time was a good friend and he was very nice with me. And, and even when I decided to quit the orchestra, he was insisting that I would stay, you know. But uh, I wanted to change in my life. So I remember I posted my letter to say that I stopped, you know, uh, in five minutes like that. And I say, so I cannot come back, you know, on my decision. And of course, uh, I got my... Uh, fixed teaching job. I was assistant at that time in the, in the conservatoire, but this was three, four hours a week. It's not a fixed job, you know. But I got only 12 years later uh, a real job as a, in university to teach, you know, a fixed job. So I had 12 years where I was only uh, living from my tours and from my concerts. Wonderful, but of course, uh, always thinking 
uh, I have to make my budget for the year and my tours and my thing, but challenging, you know, I right. never, uh, all my friends, they say you are crazy to have <laughs> to quit the orchestra, you know, with a salary and it's so difficult, but I never have regretted it in my life. Right, it certainly worked out for you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure, I mean, part of becoming a soloist too is finding your sound and having that characteristic sound that you're recognized for. I think it's something you're proud of that people can turn on the radio and they know, oh, that, that's you playing. Um, how- Very important. Yeah, I how do you, I mean, yeah. how do you suggest other people develop their sound. I'm sure there's aspects outside of music, things you have to develop with your, your personality. Um, so what are some things that you can do to really find your sound and what you want to project? You know, I think uh, the first thing I would answer on this is uh, everybody has a, a vocal, I don't know in English very well, sorry for my English, but has a vocal print, une empreinte uh, vocale. Everybody has uh, his own voice when he speaks, not only singing, you know, the color of the voice. And so everybody has a different color of a voice. And I think uh, on an instrument, it goes farther on the instrument. You should listen to your own voice and develop it, you know? So uh, I think for me, the I don't like standard playing, you know. Of course, like I say, there are rules and you have to be uh, uh, raffinated and respect the rules of, of, of any epoch of music you play. But I think it's very important to have your sound, your way of phrasing. Uh, it, this is, when I go to a concert, uh, even from a symphony orchestra, Maybe I will listen only to the second oboe, you know, because he has something fantastic. I yeah. cannot tell you why. And it's like you go to listen to a piano trio. Uh, maybe you will listen only to the cellist and not to the pianist and to the violin. It's, you know, people has this, uh, some people are special. This is so important. What you learned, what I learned also in these years, I was in the orchestra, I saw the, the, the first rehearsal, the soloist coming on stage, you know, and I could already flare, smell that it would, that it will be interesting or not. Well, like you know? a sense, yeah, you just know. Uh, it's it's a charisma, a color of voice. This is, I think, the most important thing. And uh, of course, uh, you can develop this because uh, I started young to be earn my life with music and to be a professional, and I was not very happy with uh, uh, physically with my uh, with my sound and be in, in French we say épanoui to be uh, uh, to feel physically well after a concert after playing. So I started to do yoga and I went into singing lessons and so, and this helped me tremendous, you know. It was, it opened another world for me, uh, spe especially the, the breathing in yoga, yeah. especially with all the exercises. Mm -hmm. You asked me some advice. So the yeah. exercises, I use also, I breathe a lot through the nose also, because most of the flutists, because we have to be quick, you breathe through the mouth. But, I think in the beginning of the phrase or so, it's very important to inhale also through the nose because then you, you breathe much deeper. 
you know? Yeah, that's, you know, that's controversial because I feel like a lot of, a lot of people are very particular about breathing through the nose and not, not doing that. So that's interesting. Uh, especially in the beginning of a piece. Yeah. And then you can add air through the mouth, but when you breathe through the nose, the air goes in the back, you know, as low in the back of the lungs, you know, it helps a lot and it puts your energy lower uh, and, and so many things I can go for hours on this. <laughs> How else has yoga helped you in your performances? Yes, of course, because it uh, you learn how to be connected like a tree in the ground, you know. So yeah. when I was young, I when I was in the bus or some way, I did exercises to stand without holding in the bus, pushing, you know, uh, my my feet in the ground and breathing deeply and pushing, put my energy lower. And so, so this helps you in the beginning. Uh, I don't remember now since 40 years or so uh, to be anxious when I go on stage. It's a pleasure for me to go on stage, you know. Uh, of course, you have to well be, be well prepared to us, like for an exam or so, but you learn this. If you perform uh, often and you breathe correctly and so, you, it's it starts to be something that gives you good energy. Yeah. Have you ever struggled with, uh, you know, anxiety going on stage? Of course, when I when uh, when I started, yes. Uh, when I was a student in the conservatoire and so, like everybody, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe uh, yoga trainings in your future. Have you done a formal training yet? I don't. I didn't understand your question. Oh, uh, maybe a yoga training, like a, a formal teacher yeah, training good. in your future. Very good. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. Uh, and uh, another thing I just wanted to, I guess, talk about it. Speaking of holistic playing, um, you've talked about how the flute has kind of taught you some big life lessons about modesty and staying humble. So can you elaborate a little bit on that and how you do stay grounded while also being a soloist, which is kind of, you know, the opposite. You have to be very extroverted and very um, confident. Okay, there is one thing in, is, is there is one thing, of course, in, a, in a, if, if, you, if, you, if you decide to be a professional musician, it's a pity, but you cannot show your weakness. You know, you have to, always pretend that you are uh, the best and uh, you know so yeah. modesty to answer to your question modesty is not very good but <laughs> it's another it's okay uh, the people has they they have to feel that you are comfortable and you have to have a big personality and of course if you work on stage uh, as a soloist in front of the orchestra, of course, it's normal. Uh, artists are jealous in between, and so you have, will have people who are jealous, and so you have to be strong, you know, to, uh, in your, in your in mind, you have to be strong to fight about this. So, uh, modesty, uh, I think, uh, when you're an artist, you know, as a, certainly a performance artist, you know that it can go wrong every second. So yeah. if you are not modest, you are stupid, you know. It, uh, <laughs> come on. And, and how, how, how more you, you go farther in the career, how more you have respect for everybody and from, for every musician, for every person. And, and life is more easy with modesty and respect for the others. Right. Well, I mean, you've um, been pretty open about 
how you weren't always so confident in your playing. I mean, in the beginning, you had a lot of things that you wanted to work on that you weren't happy with in your playing. Uh, were you, did you share any of those insecurities or challenges with anybody, with a teacher or a mentor? Or did you just kind of- Of course, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course, of course, you have to be open and so, but I think also uh, the, the, the teaching and the and, um, uh, interaction with the students has changed very much. I had the teachers uh, who were like, uh, you know, uh, dictators and who were terrible, you know, we were afraid from them. They were, uh, 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 no, we have another, I think so, we have a, a completely other relation with students. I, I share everything with my students. I don't have any secret and, 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 and it's very natural. I, I show them all the unusual uh, tricks I use. And so, you know, I don't hide anything. You know, I want them to, uh, not the teaching I had, you know, which, but I try to have something, uh, all the little things I can give to them to help them. I will, it's a great pleasure, you know? Yeah. And how do you, I mean, what advice do you give other flutists though when they're kind of getting down on themselves and really contemplating maybe quitting or just giving up, it's too challenging. I think uh, it goes always up and down. I think it's normal. I think uh, you, you, you have a period. You like your sound, and then comes a period you hate your sound. <laughs> then uh, you start to search many things with head joints, with a lot of things. And then again, you, you, you come back to the initial, you know? Uh, changing too much from flutes and things like that is not good. It's, uh, it, it, it takes so long time to accept your sound and accept your sound is of course with uh, the qualities and the default so and, the, and, and the bad sides of it, but you have to accept it. Uh, it's human, it's not perfect, happily, perfect yeah. people are so boring. Right. And, and uh, this is important because, okay, I play now uh, since 13 years, uh, nine karat, I have two nine karat Miyazawa flutes, you know, and they make the head joint on my specifications and so, and uh, it's a choice, you know, it's, it's flutes that are quite uh, brilliant. And maybe, of course, you I would play 18 karat or 24 karat flute. It would be more dark sound and so. But uh, I think it's it's a choice. It's never, uh, you know, uh, some flutists, they, they people, some people, they play uh, very heavy flutes and so. And and but I think most a lot of them, uh, they don't play a lot of concerts. And if you play a recital of two hours and it's crazy hot in the in the hall and so yeah, you're it, gonna die. Can, I'm not a small guy, you know, but I think you cannot move at the end of the concert and you are not free. The flute, in fact, the music is important and you have to feel free to express yourself. You know, you have to forget about the instrument. Yeah. So I think this this flute is uh, for me a very good compromise, you know, and and. Uh, I can tr I, I, I trust the instrumental. So the mechanic is absolutely in this Broger mechanism, the new Broger right, mechanism. You went to school with, the, is it uh, Thomas Broger that you yeah. went to school with? Yeah. No, no, he was Thomas Broger. 
uh, is, is the son of Johannes Brugger, eh? yeah. of the vendor of the Brugger mix. But Thomas, when I was uh, long ago, when I was assistant in the Brussels Conservatory, well, while I was in the concert, I was already teaching a little bit. He was my student. Oh, uh, funny. And he, it's a funny story because uh, his father, Johannes Brugger, when I played in the sort of um, Sweden or in Denmark and was close to Copenhagen, he always came to my concerts. And he, 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 was, he was a man with incredible sense of humor, but a little bit... Uh, Danish people are a little bit like that. They have this British humor, you know. Like dark uh, humor? Yeah, but, but, but I love this. <laughs> I love this. And, uh, and then he, um, Thomas was studying, uh, I think, in Köln at the time with Adorian, when Adorian was in Köln and so. And uh, his father told to him, you have to go to study with this crazy Belgian guy there. That's how I studied with that. He came to study with me, with me for funny. two years. Yeah, that's a good story. And that's how I, that's how I became a Miyazawa artist, because right. uh, Johannes Brugger, when he when uh, Miyazawa bought a patent, I think about 15 years ago or so, uh, he called me and he said, uh, I made a deal with Miyazawa and it's a new Brugger mechanism and it's much better than any Brugger mechanism I made before on my other flutes. And so they came to my home with him and so, and I loved the flute. That's how I became uh, uh, also Miyazawa artist. Right. Um, in 2001, um, Naxos came to you with a, a big project too for their flute collection. Uh, this is, I'm assuming, still an ongoing long project. Yes, <laughs> I mean, how does it feel to be entrusted with recording, I mean, all of the flute repertoire and being a reference and a guide for flutists to come for generations? Well, I don't know. Uh, for me, uh... I have always uh, liked challenges in my life. And so uh, I think a career is, of course, the joy is to play concerts, to be on stage. And also uh, the income, the money comes also from, yeah. you know, from concerts. But it's very so important to have also recordings because the one doesn't go without the other one. And it's like teaching goes also with concerts somewhere because you have master classes and you have some students who comes to the concert. The, the, the whole music business is connected. very connected uh, one to another, you know? Mm -hmm. So for me, this was, it, 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 it's a normal thing, you know? And of course, uh, uh, I was, in life you have to be sometimes, if, I think if you are very active, you, you can have luck, you, you can be lucky. If you stay at home and you always uh, say, uh, why this guy, I, I, I never jealous of other flutes of other people. You know, I'm so happy with, with when somebody uh, has a success in the life and more success than me. And so I'm always happy with that. I'm, I don't spend time to be jealous. And I think some people, they ruin their life to be jealous of, of, of other ones. It's a pity. Yeah. Uh, and I have always also in the, other, in the orchestra avoid to have uh, to be related with negative people. Uh, when people came to me with, 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 with bad, uh, you know, waves or so, and I'll say, go to see somewhere else. I'm, I'm not interested. Yeah. And so with, you know, with Naxos, 
uh, I had a concert in Hong Kong because they are in, in, in Hong Kong, you know, a close Cayman, the big boss of Naxos. And uh, I, you, I was lucky that I did the premiere of uh, the history of the tango that was written for me in, in 1985 of Astor Piazzolla. And I was with a, uh, with a group in Hong Kong with this fantastic little uh, uh, opera, op opera uh, it's, it's with a small group, you know, with 10 musicians, Maria de Buenos Aires from Piazzolla. It was a, quite a big production with, with not so many uh, musicians, with a great band of musicians. With, uh, I was in Hong Kong and, and uh, the, the, the big boss of Naxos was there and, and uh, he, he knew already recordings of me. And then uh, he said, can you come to my office tomorrow? And so, and, uh, and you, you know, it's life. It happens by accident somewhere because you are active. Right. And also, uh, he had at that time not so much uh, recordings with flute in the catalog. So he was interested also, you know, to buy some old recordings from me to add in the catalog also, and not only for the new recordings. This is going to be about, what, 30, 30 recordings in the end? I mean, yes. How, yes. how far are you now into the project? Yeah, I, I don't know, 20 maybe, yes. Yeah. That's exciting. Good luck yeah. with it and, and continued success. Yeah. I had uh, one more question for you. Yes. Um, I just a little bit curious because you just seem to be so keenly aware of, you know, the, the sounds and characteristics of different instruments and how they blend so well together. I mean, you were just talking about history of the tango and your, um, the arrangement that you play with accordion. You were really vocal about recording uh, Mozart with a, a glass harmonica that was originally written for. Uh, have you ever thought of of doing any sort of orchestrating, arranging projects or side projects? Yeah, but yeah, maybe later when I will have more time. <laughs> yes, but, uh, I, I have always liked. I think the somewhere to answer differently on your question. I think uh, I don't like to be put in a little box, you know. And right. we live in a, since many years. We live in a, in, a, in a society where they try to put you in a box that you are the specialist of playing music from 1830 to 1832. And then the other one, oh, but he plays only uh, contemporary music and so he cannot play Baroque music. And the other one this and the other one that. I think uh, if you play many different kinds of music, you play better the modern music because you play Mozart and you play better Mozart because you play the actual music, you know, and working with composers and so helps you also better to understand that these composers from Mozart's time or from Bach time, uh, that they, they, they were live composers in the time also. This was not music that was dead, you know, that you could not touch up so. Right. So I think this, this is extremely uh, important. And uh, you have to go for it also. And, and I accept very well that some people, they hate my playing and that other people, they love it, you know. Uh, I think the, the thing in between, I don't like so much. Mm. And no. that's why I, I'm always, I try to be involved in, in new projects and so. And so meet my wife and with wonderful uh, accordion player, Christophe Delporte, we have this Astor Klezmer Trio. We will speak a little bit later 
about this. Uh, it's also since a few years a new project and 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 it's different and and the people love this. You know, this we have a lot of concerts with also with this ensemble because it's different. You know. Yeah. What's it like to collaborate with your significant other? I didn't understand well. What's it like to collaborate with your significant other, with your wife? Ah, so it's a good question. Uh, we, we met about uh, more than 20 years ago, about 20 years ago. And uh, we always said, we don't want to be a couple of musicians, classical musicians that works together. You know, and the one is jealous because the other, the other one has more concert or the other one less and more successful because a career, it's always like that. Uh, it goes, like I said, like this. And uh, so, so we decided not to play together for many, many, many years. Uh, was absolutely not a problem. She played uh, klezmer music in a klezmer band. And so she's a very good violin player and a fantastic singer. Uh, she was educated classically, voice and also violin and also uh, jazz. And uh, I went to her concert with great pleasure, you know, and she came to my classical concert also with, with great pleasure. And, and, and it worked well. And then I started this collaboration with the accordion player, with Christophe Delporte. And we start asking her uh, at the end of the concerts where, when she came, to, to sing a piece with us as encore, you know? <laughs> and uh, the people, in fact, uh, you will understand why, I hope so when you will see the concert, they, they really, uh, they were so enthusiastic that finally we started to make a, a program together and it's not really a, a, a program with, that is with real classical music and so, I think it's more easy, you know, as a couple to play together in a project like that. But she's still involved in many projects and me also. We don't depend from each other, only from this. Right. Well, thank you so much for yes. sharing all of your advice. And it was uh, really great to get to know you. And it was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. For, and for good questions. Thank ah, you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.